Hi, I'm Miss Days Geek, and welcome to the first episode of Equivox Unplugged, a series that aims to educate, amplify, and empower the next generation of gaming and pop culture professionals and creators. So today I have with me a very special guest, someone I've admired and been very inspired by for quite some time, Dr. JC Lau. Um, in addition to being a senior producer at Probably Monsters with experience developing multiple internationally renowned video games, JC is an award-winning speaker and advocate for diversity, inclusion, equity, and representation in the games industry. JC was also the recipient of the Individual Diversity Advocate Award at the Women in Games. Global Awards and was included in the Games Awards Future Class, among several other accolades. Welcome, JC. Thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Awesome. Well, I like I said, I've really been wanting to chat with you for some time. We've known each other for quite a while now, and I've been following your journey, and it's just been something that's so inspiring to me, not only as someone who's also in games, but also as someone who's in Australia, because mm -hmm. I understand you come from Australia yep. as well. Um, from Melbourne, if yep. I'm correct. Yeah, I yep. grew up in Melbourne, so yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, there's that connection there. And then obviously you're also from the Asian diaspora, which I'm from as well. And as you and I both know, you know, Asian representation is so important. So I think all the work you've done has been so amazing. And I would love to share with everyone listening um, your journey and, and all the good work that you've done. So um, if you don't mind me starting, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your, your, I guess, intro into games. Um, I saw that you uh, were admitted as, as a lawyer um, in the High Court of Australia. That's super amazing. Is it the High Court or the Supreme Court here? Um, it's the Supreme Court of Victoria, but yeah, that's awesome. so each state has their own um, admission to practice. So that's where I went. Did you ever end up practicing law or, or did um, you just go through? I practiced law like as, so as part of becoming a lawyer you have to actually do legal practice like with like under the supervision of a law firm and I did a lot of work in family law and in and specifically with people from like lower income communities so I did a lot of pro bono work and then ended up specializing in family law specifically as it pertains to children who are the products or the objects of a divorce so and I was like 22, 23 at the time. So it was really intense. Wow. So yeah, but, it, but I think that was a very interesting first job. So I have to say that coming out of university and going straight into something so impactful, um, do you think that sort of helped you carve this path into wanting to kind of make some changes and, and be uh, a person who can, you know, impact society in a way? Do you think that kind of, helped you start this kind of work? I think to an extent it did. I was one of those people that always wanted to get into games. And I was very fortunate when I was very, very young. And this is going to give you a hint to how old I am. Um, my mum bought an Apple IIe. That was our first computer in the 80s. And, you know, at the time, I was she was like, oh, you know, like computers are this thing, they'll take off and everyone will have one. So we, so we bought this computer and the only thing I, we had on it was Pac-Man at the time. So I just played tons and tons of this as a child and I really, and I love games, but there wasn't a really clear path into games at the time. Like there were no game schools in Australia. Um, the closest thing was really like, you know, you do a computer science degree or or engineering. And I wasn't, but my, like I, when I was in, school like when you know you choose your courses for 
university and you have to pick your like year 11 year 12 classes i was very into liberal arts so i actually did you know history and political science and like philosophy those were my three majors at um when i went into uni so i actually went to monash for my undergrad and i did an arts law degree and throughout that time i loved games and i actually ended up using games as part of my work so as a lawyer like i was working with children who were like and some of my clients were very like close in age to me some um because i witnessed fresh out of uni and a lot of them were going through these very hard times and games was just a really great way to connect with them and you know help them through a very challenging time and so i ended up using games as just a great medium to like connect um build trust and like and then after that i left the legal profession and i went back into academia so i got a master's in advanced legal practice and i have a master's in philosophy and then i went and did a phd in philosophy at the australian national university in political philosophy which sounds like it has really nothing to do with games but it was really interesting because i ended up using games in teaching as well like so i ended up getting my phd and i taught political philosophy and ethics. And a lot of the work that went into that was just un having students understand like moral problems and how we navigate them. And games is a great field for that. So you think about things like Fable or like the Telltale games, like, you know, The Walking Dead and um, The Wolf Among Us had just come out at this time. Mm -hmm. um, there was um, Grand Theft Auto is full of moral decisions you can make. Um, mm -hmm. and using games as part of my work was a great way to like also connect with my students but also it was really educational as a tool so it was just like you know we could we would read a paper that was a you know that that's just like a you know a lot of philosophy papers are quite dry and they're written by like you know they're written 100 years ago and you just have to try and apply it in a more relevant sense to what you are currently like what your current life looks like and so we would read the paper talk about like what the moral theory is and then play the game like that would represent it so there's a torture mini game in gta 5 for example and i'm not like i'm not commenting on like the content of that but like that is a moral question like do you torture the person to get information to like you know stop the bad thing from happening and it was just a great application and it just made for a really good conversation but mm. eventually i just wanted to do the games part i loved these other parts of my work and how they overlapped with what i like you know what i was doing at the time but i just wanted to go do games so yeah <laughs> okay so you know after doing all of that and teaching how did you end up in game development i mean mm. you You've worked in game development for quite some time now after all your teaching work. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Um, so I am very fortunate. I have a very supportive partner who is also a game developer. Um, and at the time I had, I was transitioning from academia into games and a lot of the work there is like basically, you know, rebuilding your like resume, um, making a case that like, you know, here are my skills are transferable, that sort of stuff. So I was very fortunate that I had someone that already knew how to navigate that. Um, but I, it was one of those things where I could just be supported as I learned more about games, I learned more about project management, which is what I actually like ended up studying. I did a additional certificate in that just to help bolster my skills. And um, 
and my first job was actually just at, at Xbox in localization. And the fun thing about this, and I know we have a connection with Xbox, so um, mm -hmm. we can talk more about that. But my first job was actually localizing to um, Australian and New Zealand English from the source language, which is American English. So I, yeah, so, and this is like for the Xbox console. So, you know, if you change your locale to Australia and New Zealand on the Xbox, then, you know, you can see the words are spelt in the way that they would be in Australia, not in America. Um, some of the like terminology for like your avatars and that sort of stuff would change. And so that was what I was working on at the time. And that, and I was working on a team alongside other folks who were, you know, trying, like localizing from like Eng American English into like Russian or, Turkish or Swedish or something. So I actually ended up having a little bit more time to just like study and guide them. And I ended up being one of the coordinators for the team. So that also helped give me more experience in project management as well. And from there, I could just take that skill and then go. And then I went to Bungie, which like was my first like games job, like at a game studio. So yeah. That's amazing. I mean, the fact that, you know, you went from law to teaching to xbox as your like first you know game company to work mm. with um that's like that's a dream come true for so many people you know i mean yeah. a lot of people assume that you have to go through the smaller sort of indie development studios maybe work in like an agency or, or a smaller mm. publisher and then you kind of work your way up to get to like your sony and your microsoft and you know, it, it's even for me, like I would just kill for a job at Xbox. And so, you know, when it comes to working at Xbox, was there any any kind of um, hurdles with, you know, getting a first job at Xbox? Um, so I actually came into it, I almost want to say sideways because I worked in localization and for localization, they just need people from that particular locale. and. I was very lucky because I there was an opening for an Australian. I'm an Australian, so I got got that job. But um, the thing that I think was very relevant for applying for that job, and also like any and by extension any other job afterwards in games, is demonstrating your skills and the relevant skills that like the skill set and how it applies to the job that you're having. And coming from law and academia, it was actually very interesting, and it was actually a little bit challenging to go from that into games because a lot of the work that you do there is by yourself like you know when you're an academic you're teaching your own courses a lot of times <clears throat> as a philosopher most of your research is done by yourself like it's not like a lot of i know a lot of science papers are like you know you have like 10 authors or whatever but with philosophy it's very much a single person doing the research and writing a paper and so i had to show that all these skills still transferred into being able to work on a team i was a good communicator with people i knew how to collaborate and i think there's a couple of extra steps you have to do to make people see that and at first it was actually quite challenging because people were like but you seem so overqualified you have a PhD," and i'm like yes but i'm transferring careers like you know please don't think that just because i have oddly specific knowledge in this one very small domain that it transfers over. So um, there was a little bit of just making sure that I could prove that like the skill sets transferred over and were relevant. Hmm. Yeah, because um, now that you've mentioned that, I think that's such an important part to, to remember is um, no matter what you do, there's always mm -hmm. going to be some form of transferable skills and you need to just be able to 
showcase that and apply yeah. it to the, the role you're applying for. So, um, you know, you mentioned sure. earlier that you had to almost rewrite your CV and show how these transferable skills apply to these jobs that you are going for in games. Um, how did you go about that? I mean, you talked about, you know, you had a really supportive partner who's also in game dev. So I'm sure you guys worked together on, on building out your CV, but do you know of any other ways that people can, you know, figure out how to apply these transferable skills or, or even how do you identify what transferable skills are? Do you have any advice on, on that? Yeah, I think one thing it, that I found useful was I just did a very quick exercise. So there is a book called, So What Are You Going To Do With That? And it's specifically written for people who have graduate degrees, trying to go into a field that's not the field that they have the degree in. And um, so I actually have a copy of this book and it was very useful for like, it has a whole bunch of like, like it's it's two authors and they're talking about like you know how do you market your skills how do you make yourself a, like relevant and there are a lot of different exercises you can do when you say what is the thing that i have done like you know what is the thing that's currently on my cv and what is the i'm breaking that down to like what are the most fundamental parts of that like doing that work and then how does that translate so an example might be for um going from academia into games um if i were to do research in academia, like for example, I like part of um, getting a PhD is writing a dissertation, and to write a dissertation, it's basically managing a project for yourself for three years. You have to do the research, you have to pace yourself. Um, you know, if you're on scholarship, there's also like managing the funding of that, um, finding additional sources of funding, like teaching, and a lot of that is understanding how to make those relevant. So. That's basically, so you can say this is like writing dissertation is project management. Here is how I budget it. This is how I manage budget. This is how I manage a schedule. This is how my, my timelines and like my resources. Like if I had to interview people for my research, how do I do that? Um, and so demonstrating how it fit was one of the things that I had to do. Um, another example might be just like academia is about taking very, very abstract concepts and then breaking them down into like, a way that someone could understand in a few sentences because no one wants mm. to really sit there and listen to you talk about your dissertation all day but um, yeah if, yeah but if someone says hey what's your PhD about or like you know what are you writing about you have to be able to distill it down to like you know one or two sentences and so they get it and mm. that's basically the same skill as writing a bug in games like if you work in mm. QA like you you are doing a whole bunch of investigation to a bug and you have to write it down in two sentences so someone can can look at that and be like, I understand what this bug is and I know how to like fix it or I know how to prioritize like who should fix it. So yeah, a, a lot of that was, um, so transferring skills was also showing this is what I've done, this is how it applies now and just like connecting those dots for people. Like the easier you make that connection for people, then the more employable you also look. So that was something else I also learned along the way, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, even for myself, having I myself came from law and then went into mm. PR and then found my way into marketing. It was always such a challenge just going, how do I take what I did before and apply it to what I want to do now? And I think it's something that, you know, for me personally, I had to learn along the way. I didn't really have any books or anything that mm. helped guide me. Um, you know, it was more trial and error and mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of failures. But, you know, I think you get a lot of knowledge and you learn a lot as you go through. So I think that's super inspiring to hear that 
yeah. you know, you've almost done the same thing where you've had to essentially learn along the way. And I think a lot of people have the notion or the idea of like, you know, I have a degree, I should be able to get a job right away without having to do any kind of marketing of themselves. And yeah. I think that's that's something, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like in today's world, especially, you really need to know how to sell yourself. Mm. And it's it, not just, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's not just, I go to university, get a fancy degree, and immediately I can get a job. Yeah, there, especially in the games industry right now, the um, there is a conversation that's been going on about like the challenges that people who are entering the industry now face. And you know, a lot of what I said before about when I entered the industry is very different and no longer applies, is because the landscape of what the industry is has changed. And so there is a lot of work that people like I would encourage people to do to make their resume stand out. Um, you don't have to land the job with your resume. Like sometimes it's easy to think about using your resume to start a conversation with a recruiter or a hiring manager, but you have to be interesting enough so that they will want to talk to you in the first place. And, yeah. you know, so it's not enough just to rely on the fact you have a deg degree or that you've, you know, that you use a particular engine or whatever on a piece of, like, you know, and that's what it says on a piece of paper. You have to actually, do additional work to like demonstrate that you are going to be a good team player. You're going to be a good collaborator, a good communicator. You know, you can get your stuff done and that you are excited about games. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so just now sidetracking a little bit mm -hmm. to the roles that you've had. So you said, you know, you, you uh, work in project management and then you moved on to Bungie. What exactly did you do at Bungie? Were you also doing similar kind of work? Um, I actually started in QA at Bungie, so that was my foot into game development. And mm -hmm. I think my skills from Xbox were very useful for that. It was just easy to say, hey, like, you know, here's how they trans transferred. And then I, after I, I spent some time at Bungie, I moved into production. I really enjoy production. Um, QA and production are very similar in that these are the roles where you have a very high level view of the project. You know about the project's health. And so it was easy to kind of move from one to the other. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, but I think production is kind of where I found my home and I think that's where I want to stay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, um, for people like me who have varying different ideas of what production is and what being a producer is because, mm -hmm. you know, the term producer is used in so many different industries, but they're so different from each other. Um, can you give me a rough idea of, of what does a producer do in games? Like, what does a day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, that is a really good question. I could spend the entire rest of this podcast talking about this. But, um, <laughs> the, um, very fundamentally, a producer's role is, like, you are the person whose job it is to make sure the game actually goes out the door. Like, your okay. job is to ship the game on time, under budget, and at whatever the level of quality is that you've um, agreed on. Um, and the reason I say we could talk about this forever is because there are also a lot of different types of producers. So I work with a development team. So I work with the designers, the engineers, the like artists, QA, UI, all the people that are actually working on building the game. Um, there is another Striper producer that works in publishing. So they work with marketing and they work with a development team and a dev producer like me just to make sure the schedule is right for when the game's going to come out. Like, you know, if it's up for a particular platform that it you know, meets all the requirements of that. And so it's a different type of producer, but they're, but um, it's still a producer. Like fundamentally your skills are still the same. 
Um, I think the day-to-day -day for a producer is also, it varies. A lot of it is about planning and scoping. So you have to like spreadsheets. You don't have to be good at spreadsheets, you, but you have to know how to like plan a project. Mm -hmm. um, I really like having that very high level view of a project is to see like all the different moving parts and mm -hmm. seeing when they all come together and make a game. That's really cool. I also like the ability to drill down into a particular feature. So I have feature teams that I work with and we might say, like we're working on characters. Okay, what does that look like? Or we're working on environments. What does that look like? And so I get to work with like all these people from all these different like areas of expertise, and we all work together to make something. And my job is just to unblock them. My job is to empower them. I see producers force multipliers. So we are there to be like, how do I get help you do your best work? Okay, that's so cool. Like, I mean yeah i i think that you know there's so much involved in that it seems that you know i'm guessing that that no day is the same and that every day is a different uh challenge that you have to work on or a different challenge to overcome and it seems that you know a producer's role is, is so fundamental to the game launching um how how do you suppose someone could get involved in into being a producer, do you think that, I know your pathway is, is very different, but do you know if there's like a particular course that people can study or how, how would someone pick up um, those skills that a producer requires, I suppose? Um, so there are courses that are available. So um, you can do a project management course, there are certifications you can get. I would say those are not required at all. The main thing I think that's most important for a producer is your soft skills. And what I mean by this is like, you have to be empathetic, you have to be firm, you have to be kind, you have to be able to communicate with a whole bunch of different people. So you have to have good emotional intelligence. And a lot of my work is around that, but just not like, you know, but it shows up in different ways. So for example, it might be we're just we're working on a particular feature and it's going to come in a little bit and it's going to come in a little bit late. Okay, well, how do I negotiate that with someone else in a way that is mutually satisfactory for everyone? Because ultimately we're all trying to meet the same goal, which is to ship the game. Um, sometimes it's making sure that people on my team are supported and not overtasked with something if they've got like, if they're stressed out or there's something outside of work going on like how do i support them in a way so that they can still do their best work and that requires being able to talk to people and and like understand people and have empathy for them so i think there are different types of producers that and like every producer is different there's like a little i think there's a little triangle diagram you can imagine where every producer is some combination of a people producer a process producer because we make processes that make people's work more efficient and a product or project producer so it's like and then like the priority is the product um but you can't be too much of one of these things if you are entirely process you're prioritizing the process whether or not it works for people if you're entirely project then you're just focused on getting the thing out the door at the cost of maybe your people are like cutting corners on your processes if you're entirely people you might never ship a thing but everyone's having a great time so <laughs> you really need to be a little bit of all of those things and part of mm -hmm. being a good producer is understanding when to press on each of those points of that triangle right hmm, that's so interesting i definitely won't be able to do any of those <laughs> in perfect harmony i'm usually Fortunately, unfortunately, the kind of person who'd lean on the, the people side's like, are you happy? Are yeah. you okay? All right. Yeah. I, I, like personally, I think that's very fundamental to being a producer because you can't 
make a product if if you don't have people. So I mm. think that's a very good mindset to have. Um, yeah. I but I also think there it's one of those things where you you like you're moving. It's like a weird balancing act. You're always moving between these three points on any given mm. day in any given scenario. So mm. I don't think there is a right answer for this. Yeah. Okay. It does sound like there's a lot of pressure as well involved in in having to balance all of these different things mm. and working across so many different teams. How do you deal with that kind of pressure, especially, you know, closer to a game launch? Um, so that pressure can show up in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it is having conversations about what is left to go into a game. So like, what, what do we keep? What do we cut? Um, what goes into the, like, you know, if we have a lot of stuff that we we know isn't going to make into into the game, like, how do we still make this useful for people? Like, is there a DLC it goes in? Like, how do we support the people who have done that work, you know, so it's not just thrown away. Um, and sometimes those can be very emotionally, like, challenging conversations. Like, people can be attached to their work and it's good work. I respect that. So we need to just have a conversation about what is right for the project. Um, mm -hmm. There are also times where it might be that we are looking at trying to close out a project and we need to think about how to keep people like, you know, engaged with their work because, you know, if a development cycle is three or five years or whatever, then, you know, if you've been working on the same thing for five years, it's a long time. Like, you know, you want to make sure people are still engaged. You want people to stay stay around so, like, they'll be there for the next one. Um, mm -hmm. you don't want to burn people out. So I think it's very important to make sure that your workplace practices are sustainable and, and to make sure that the people who are doing the work are acknowledged for that, so they're credited for it. Um, so yeah a lot of that just comes down to having those conversations and making sure that people understand what the expectations are and that they are being supported yeah hmm. so then that's a perfect segue into the my next question which um obviously is is around sustainable pathways and, and sustainable work and also um, looking after people and people obviously come in various shapes and forms and backgrounds and the like um you know, and you've done so many different bits and bobs and, and some incredible work around diversity and equity, inclusion, even representation as well. And obviously you've been awarded for a lot of these uh, things that you've done. How did you get involved in, in advocacy? And, and, you know, I think you um, created the Bungie Diversity Community, mm -hmm. or Committee, sorry. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get involved in that? What sparked that sort of um, work for you? Um. So I think I was, in a very unique position when I came into Bungie, just because I have this background in law and academia. And those are both two fields where asking questions is just how you do the work. Um, and I, and very importantly for me, it was me coming from a place of curiosity and not frustration or anger when I was asking. Um, I was just like, hey, like I've noticed culturally, like, you know, here's what our studio looks like, here's what our, uh, here's what our play base looks like, here's what our, um, here's what our characters like the product look like and i just ask questions around like you know how do we diversify that or like you know how do we get more women or people of color or like you know lgbtqia folks like into positions of leadership like what are the pathways to support people who are from different backgrounds and these are all questions that are just i'm just wondering like you know what is the plan for this and a lot of times with dei work um one of the things that i've discovered is if decisions and policies are not made intentionally to include people they will 
unintentionally exclude people. Like that's just mm. a product of, you know, you know, people have unconscious bias, people don't mean ill by it, but it just happens. And so in having these conversations, it kind of generates that, oh yeah, like, you know, maybe we should address some of these things. And we should address the fact that, you know, sometimes like, you know, you know, sometimes people don't feel included in meetings or they don't feel empowered to speak up. Like, how do we address this? And I will say one of the things about the Bungie Diversity Committee was it actually came out of just a conversation I was having with someone who was, I was very fort fortunate, it was someone that was very supportive of my work and was familiar with my background, but was in a position to also basically sponsor that idea and say, hey, like, yeah, we should talk about this. Like, we should have access to leadership and like have those conversations and that's what that's kind of where it started and then one of the cool things about Bungie is it does have a lot of um grassroots like what we call ERGs employee resource groups so there, there's women there's like you know the LGBTQIA one there, at the time when I was there there was people of color but I believe now that's being split into like you know more specific so there's blacks um there's blacks at Bungie there's Asians um and and one of the things that we did was we tapped into those communities and we we're like, hey, you already have like the communities, you know what, what like how your day to day work is being affected. Like how to like, you know, come and talk about these things. And and that's kind of how the committee started. We just wanted to make a space that was inclusive and could make a positive impact on folks at the studio and then by mm -hmm. extension in the community. And then because of the presence that Bungie had, then like at the industry as a whole. So it was a lot of just like little steps, like a lot of conversations just to make sure people had that like frame of mind to be able to do that. And mm. yeah, it was it was pretty well received. So I was very glad that like it's evolved into the things that it has now. It's now become a lot of like I'm not there anymore, but it's good to see like the like outcomes of that. There's been a lot more conversations about inclusion and justice and like supporting people and it's just been really cool just to see this spread up all over the industry as well mm, yeah no i mean it's so nice to finally see these conversations happening and people actually talking about being more inclusive and actually putting in the work to you know not just have it as as a an idea that people talk once and then never really action it. Um, so it's really nice to see, especially with you know Xbox, Bungie, even PlayStation to a degree. Mm. Like there's just so many big brands that are really invested in this space. Which I guess for me as a person of color myself, it's really really inspiring and it's one of those things where it makes me feel good working in this industry, knowing that I'm working for brands that are putting back into people. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I, th I think fundamentally people are at the heart of this. Like you are doing this for the people and yeah. you can't make your product without people. So you need to really take care of your people first. Mm. And I think that's something that I think a lot of different industries need to really hone in on and really focus on because, you know, people matter. And I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day is, yeah. like I said earlier, you know, you need to keep your people happy. You need to look after them and if they're happy, they produce good work. And so it's a win-win for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, I guess, the work you've done in this space beyond the bungee um, work that you've done, what else have you done? Because I know I've seen you started the um, What a Game Dev Looks Like initiative on Twitter or X now. Um, ha has that been something that was a result of your work at Bungie? Like, how did that all come about? How did you start working in, in 
DEI outside of um, a brand or a company? Mm. Yeah, so I think DEI was always very important to me. I, I exist at the intersection of multiple marginalizations. <laughs> and I think the way that it started before what a game dev looks like, it was, it was a lot of different things. It was like asking questions. It was supporting people, like cheerleading other people and amplifying pe other people from marginalized backgrounds. Um, it can look like mentoring. It can look like just like, you know, if we're on social media, just like giving people space and a voice. Um, but the thing I think that really became the turning point for what a game dev looks like was just the fact that this was something that resonated with so many people. And I'll talk a little bit more about what it actually is in a minute, but it was one of those things where I just was like, hey, like I need this kind of for myself. And it turned out that like thousands of other people also like, you know, found like, you know, could relate to that and could find themselves in a similar position. So it was just a really great way to just kind of connect and celebrate with each other. But um. Yeah, just for context, um, what a game dev looks like was born out of the Game Developers Conference in 2019. So GDC is the largest games industry event in the world. There are tens of thousands of people who attend. It is very, very big. And I happened to be speaking at it that year. So mm. um, when you attend, it's you when you get your like there are different badges that you get so if you're a speaker you go in the speaker badge line and I was in the line to get my badge and I was stopped by three separate security guards in that line right. like, like yeah. and you know they told me I was in the wrong line they told me this is the line for speakers and I said yes I know because I'm a speaker like you know like, this, like I, I can you know I understand what this line is for and I know why I'm in it and it struck me as a really interesting case that like you know we're it was 2019 at the time the Bungie diversity committee was founded in 2017 it was actually in my first year entering the games industry so that was a thing but but i'd kind of been like in this headspace for a few uh, like a couple of years now and it was weird to think about like do i just not look like a game developer do you think like that's why you think i'm in the wrong line like you know like you know when when microaggressions happened you can't help but wonder like you know what what is it about me that did this and it also turned out that there were other women, there were other people of color, there were other people whose first language was not English, who were also stopped. And yeah, it was just a very, yes, it wasn't a singular event. And I just happened to like write some tweets. There were tweets at the time. I I think they'd be posted now, but at the I was just like, this really weird thing happened to me. Like, you know, like what what's up with this? And yeah, so and then I ended up making what a game dev looks like because initially that was just a reminder for myself hey like this is my industry i belong in this industry and it was just a way for and all i did was i said here's what i look like you know this is my face this is what the face of the industry is like other like you know it is not just all like you know old white dudes like there are the the industry is diverse and look at us like this is what a game dev looks like and that's where it came from and mm. it was just one of those things where people just kind of used it as this really great like way to empower and amplify each other which i never expected i was just like this is just me doing this thing like if you if everyone else wants to join in you are free to like take a picture of yourself and and also be part of this and it's been this way that people have navigated 
the industry. Like, you know, people have found each other through this. People have like collaborated mm -hmm. on projects together because of this, which has been very cool. Um, a lot of people who thought they were the only one of, of their particular background or like they've never found anyone else that looked like them, like could connect and they could celebrate like who they were. So it mm -hmm. just was this great, it, it was just such an outpouring of positivity and support that came out of it that like, I ended up bringing it back in, in 2022 because that was the next in-person GDC that we had. Um, and then mm -hmm. we also ran it earlier this year in March. Yeah. That is so inspiring. I remember seeing it, um, I think it was definitely in 2022 because I don't think I was as active in this space in 2019. But um, I saw that and I saw all these different types of people talking about the work and you know, showing that, you know, it's not just, like you said, all white dudes who are working in games and game dev. And I think it's so, like you said, you know, it's so important to show this, this diversity really. And, and mm -hmm. I guess that's why representation is so important as well, is because like you said, it was, it must have been such a shock to have um, the security guards kind of stop you and like, you're not meant to be here, you know, it, it's yeah. one of those things. It's like, yeah, but I work in this space. I, I yeah. This is what I do. So I think that's been just so inspiring to see, and and obviously it's become almost a, a movement of sorts, which is really powerful. Um, you know, obviously with something like that, there usually has some. There's usually some undertones of, of challenges and obstacles that mm -hmm. might have some negative um, connotations to it. Have you ever come across that sort of thing with with what a game dev looks like? Um surprisingly not really and and this is the interesting thing about what a game dev looks like it's entirely democratized people because it's on social media people can choose who they want to amplify they can choose who they want to like or retweet or repost um and it's and so people will select who they want to like who other people they want to give space to and no one just and there is just no space for detractors um the people that have challenged it generally do not get amplified which has been just really interesting i i'm i am surprised that this happens on social media like so it it was kind of just like it was a really cool thing where even people who were like you know not the like the target audience for what a game dev looks like and to be clear like what when i say what a game dev looks like it's like anyone can participate in it i am not i do not like gatekeep who like can use this hashtag or not mm. um but the interesting thing is even people who are like what we would consider like you know in the majority for like a stereotypical like you know says how white male game dev like they would use their platforms to amplify other people they would mm. and there were conversations around like you know do we participate in this or not like is this for us and just like having the respect of like to have that introspection to understand that like was like i really like i i was very appreciative of that like again i like anyone is free to use it but it was also a thing where the community itself was like regulated itself in this way that turned out to be incredibly positive so yeah mm. so what do you think um obviously it's it's impactful in so many ways but why do you think initiatives like this are really important and, and you know, we should all be invested in work that, you know, these different organizations, uh, movements and all of that are doing? Why is it important, do you think? Uh, to me, I feel like this is something I would have wanted when I was younger, when I was entering the industry. Um, mm -hmm. 
the first time I ever saw anyone that looked like myself in a video game was when Street Fighter 2 came out and there was Chun-Li and that was like the first like Asian female character I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I could not get over this. Um, and I think people often underestimate the value of seeing yourself in the media that you love, in seeing like the your peers, like in having someone that you, like there is a real, like there is a connection that you can have just in virtue of who you are and what your experiences are and what your backgrounds are. And it's been, and so having something like this or having a space where people from underrepresented groups can connect is so powerful because you, it's just one of those times where you can just kind of like, I, I don't know, like I like to say there is a, like there is a mask that we all wear and there are times when you can just take that mask off. You don't, you don't have to talk about like why diversity is important. You do like everyone already knows that it is in that conversation, that, that sort mm. of stuff. And I think the reason that like things like this are necessary also is I want to, be, I'm, I know that I'm not going to be in the, this industry forever. Like eventually I will have to stop and retire, but I want to be part of the people who like lay the path for the future like i want future game developers to have an easier time like you know getting like the dei support that they need i want games to i i just want games themselves to be more diverse i want people to feel safe in their workplaces regardless of who they are and if what i'm doing right now is basically planting the seeds for tree, like there's that, you know, the, you may plant the seeds for a tree under whose shade you will never sit. Like if that's what I'm doing, it is still worth it. Like I don't mm -hmm. have to personally benefit from this. I think collectively as an industry, we do benefit from things like this, um, but it's not a personal thing. It's just like, how do we, how, what do I, like, what do, what can I do to make future generations of games and game developers better? Like, yeah. That is that is so nice to hear. And I think that's why I really wanted to, to talk with you because that's why this podcast exists. It's trying to pave the way to make life easier for the future generation who want to work in games and who want to have careers in creative pursuits and all of that. I think that it's so important that, you know, we 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 exist today to build a better world for the next generation. I've always really, really um had that almost like as my motto in life and so yeah. i i really really appreciate the work that you do and i think it's so important as well for um um i guess from an asian background mm -hmm. as well to see the work that you're doing and you're almost that representation even for someone like me who's been in the industry for a while because watching the way you work and what you do and, and all the accolades you're getting it just makes me feel like this is this is great the, the you know the next uh young asian girl from say malaysia where i'm from um can see this and go she did that i i can now yeah. do this too like there's nothing stopping me now i can work in games if i want to i can do all of the things that i'm passionate about if i want to you know i think that's such an important i guess way to to see the world as well yeah I think there's something very interesting about just being empowered to like, you know, you don't have to ask for permission to mm. like enter the games industry because you can, you just can, like, you know, yeah. you, you can just do the thing. And yeah. I, th and 
just being able to do that like already lowers so many barriers to entry into games just mm -hmm. knowing that there are people like you who can do things in the games industry and can make the games that you love or seeing yourself in a game is just a really amazing like way of just being like you know you can just like it's a really great way of just being able to see how you can fit mm -hmm. and for a lot of people who come from underrepresented backgrounds like Games have been a really important medium because, like, sometimes, like, there are other places outside of games, like in your real life, where you don't feel like you fit. And so, just having a space where you can belong and you know you belong is just so important because, like, it might it might be your only safe space. It might be mm -hmm. the place where you can really be yourself. And the mask comes off. And it's really important just to, like, safety is just so important. And just having places to do that and, and empowering other people to feel safe is. I think one of the most impactful things we can do as humans. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the beauty of games is that it is a space that everyone belongs because we're creating characters that sometimes aren't even human. And we're giving people this, this opportunity to just be whomever they choose to be and be however they choose to, to be, essentially. And I think that leads perfectly into my next question, which is, you know, Obviously, it's a bit more personal um, on the being an Asian, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, person of color working in games. Have you ever faced any any difficulties or any obstacles in terms of being someone from an Asian background working in games, especially working in the Western world? Mm. I think a lot of what I've come across has been, I, I'm very lucky, it's nothing super egregious, but it still exists, right? So yeah. A lot of it, it just is the like microaggression level. You know, there are stereotypes around like Asian women, for example. There are stereotypes around um, people who have who look certain ways or have certain backgrounds or whatever. And a lot of what like the challenges have been is just like inviting people to overcome that. Like, you know, how about you don't just think I'm going to be quiet and take notes in your meeting or whatever, or or like whatever it is um and uh, and so the challenges really are around reframing how we understand who works in games and mm. just and just saying hey like you know i there are these stereotypes that exist i need you to realize that there are like you have these unconscious biases i need to mm. and, and part of the, why i do the work that i do is because i think like unless they're addressed and unless you actually call them out they are by definition unconscious so um and there you know there are kind ways of doing that just make people aware of that work so yeah i think that's mm -hmm. part of it um and i think the other part is like just being like it takes a lot of energy to you know speak up all the time and you know do you know know when when to spend like your social capital like you know if you yeah. you don't want to be like that person because over time people just you know stop paying attention you just become noise but you also want to make sure that what you're saying is being heard and it's being received and it's being acted upon so there is this interesting like mental math thing that happens when you're like okay do I speak up now do I not and and I think sometimes it's like if you're not sure like you know erring on the side of like yeah maybe I should say something is not a bad idea because like you don't know who else is going to benefit from this like there might be someone who hasn't spoken up that 
you are actually inadvertently helping. So it's sometimes it's just overcoming that as well. Like for me personally, I'm actually really introverted. So like <laughs> it's hard sometimes for me to talk about stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, that's, that's so, you know, again, like I said, inspiring in a way because you're, you're almost having to come out of your comfort zone to ask these questions and just put these little nuggets of thoughts into people's minds to get them thinking about these things. So I think it's really important that you're doing this work. And I think that, you know, again, I'm super uh, grateful for it, especially because I've learned so much from you and just watching all the work you've done. And it's definitely helped me carve out what I want to do in games as well. Um, so now we've spoken a lot about you know some heavy topics. Um, so I want to end the, the the podcast with some fun questions. So um, okay. I hope you don't mind me asking, but um, obviously you're in games. Mm -hmm. Do you have an all-time favorite game? Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is such a hard question. I <laughs> feel like there. I have. So I do have a top ten list, but I can narrow mm -hmm. it down to maybe like a couple. So. I'm um, totally with yeah. you because I don't have a favorite. So yeah. yeah, you can you can tell me maybe top five. Yeah, so I will say um the secret of Monkey Island is up there. So mm -hmm. the LucasArts game. Um that was I think the game that got me super into like, yeah, I want to actually make games instead of just like I want to consume this like media. I want to be part of this. It was just so funny and clever. And you know, as a player, like I, I was a kid when it came out and I was just like this is so cool. Like, you know, like look at all these cool things I can do. Like, you know, like just the interaction between like the art and the environment and like clicking on, like a, it's a point and click adventure game. So just like understanding how all those pieces fit together was just super mind blowing for me. So that's mm. definitely up there. Um, I will say Super Mario World is also up there. Like that mm -hmm. was just the way that you get to explore the world was just so fascinating to me. Mm. But I also have a very, very soft spot for like indie games. So, um, interestingly like so spirit fairer is up there for me um i think spirit fairer does something that's very special for just like games as catharsis and games as therapy so i love mm -hmm. it very much um and i know interestingly the one that pops into my head right now as we're talking about this is um is papers please so okay. i don't know if that just like i think i really enjoy it because like it scratches that project manager itch because i'm doing a lot of different tasks in it mm -hmm. um but yeah it's uh, i really like that i like you know it that's a really good game with lots of like good moral choices in it so i think that'll it also scratches that itch um mm -hmm. yeah and i just thought it was just a super cool like thing that came out it was just like what is happening here okay. <laughs> no i i um it was one of my first indie titles i think that um, i was introduced to and i was just so blown away i was like what is this game what is it yeah. trying to, to make me do and why is it making me do those things um no that that's a great list i think all of those games are great are you are you looking forward to the next assassin's creed game i am i'm very excited for it especially because i i i know people that work on this game now and are from oh, yeah. that background and it's just really great just to see like how like how much it's like really kind of resonated with them and they're just like mm. yeah like you know this was like you know here are these aspects of it. i don't want to do spoilers or anything but you mm. know there are these parts of it that really resonated with like how they, their actual experience was which i was like yeah that's super cool like you know if 
I want all of us to have that. I want all of us to be able to resonate with games in a way where it's like, this is reflective of my experience. Yeah. 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 No, that's amazing. Um, well, um, finally, last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for you? In oh, terms wow. of, of, it, it can be, you know, whether it's work-wise, whether it's just, you know, on a personal side, is there any projects that you're working on that you can talk about or yeah. What, what's, what's next for JC? <laughs> I, I think I want to actually do less if that's even <laughs> possible. Like I, I think I'm at a good spot spot where I can like I want to focus on my career and you know I I am still like working at a game studio and we have to still make games so there's that part of it but I also I've been doing a lot more mentoring lately and I and I think this is the time where it's like this is less about me and this is more about like you know I want to empower future generations of game developers like I there are a lot of incredibly like talented people from marginalized backgrounds who are coming who are like up and coming in this industry and I want to be able to make sure that they are supported and they are amplified and they can and they can be recognized in the way that I was fortunate enough to be because like if I retire eventually and I go away then like that's cool but if there are like multiple people who can carry on that work then that's actually for the better so mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah so I just want to make sure that people have the spaces to do that and they can make and like collectively we're all making the industry brighter that's so awesome. So in terms of doing less, you're you're still gonna be doing more, essentially. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is for some complication. I'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll get it done. Awesome. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, can you please tell like our listeners? Um, obviously this will be the first episode, so who knows how many listeners there are, but can you please share with us where can where can people find you? How can they see your work or connect with you? Um, so I am strangely still on social media um i can be found at most places at like at dr jc lau so d-r-j-c-l-a-u um and i am that across multiple social platforms so you should be able to find me there awesome well thank you so much jc i really really enjoyed chatting with you it was just so amazing to hear your journey and all the work that you've done and also hearing about your favorite games. That's definitely something that I think a lot of people will, res- uh, it will resonate with a lot of people, especially, um, you know, Assassin's Creed and Spiritfarer and all of that. So thank you so much for, for helping make this conversation just so enjoyable. I really appreciated yeah. it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was lovely being here. Oh, awesome. It was, it was absolutely my pleasure and an honor definitely talking with you. That's it for this week's episode. I'm Miss Dares Geek and that was the wonderful Dr. JC Lau. Thanks so much for tuning in and don't forget to stay across our socials at Equivox.gg or get in contact at hello at Equivox.gg. See you next time on Equivox Unplugged.